Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. Our first reading is from Job, book 1, verse 1, and 2, verses 1 through 10. There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day, the heavenly beings came down to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd which, uh, with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. This morning reading is Mark, book 10 and uh, uh, 2 to 12. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart that he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and then join to his wife and the two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no one separate. Then in the house, the disciples asked Jesus again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife 
and marries another, commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This reading is from Swedenborg, Heaven and Hell. When the good and the true are united in an angel on one of us, they are not two entities but one, since the good then follows from the true and the true from the good. This union is like the one that occurs when we think what we intend and intend what we think. Then our thought and our intention forms the unity. The thought forms or presents in a form what our volition intends, and our volition gives it, it its appeal. This is why two spouses in heaven are not called to angels but one. Again, this is the meaning of the Lord's words. Have you not read that the one who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but are one flesh. What God has united, let no one sever. After much thought, study, prayer, I have determined that the Bible is not an adequate tax guide. Which is true. The early part of Deuteronomy and Numbers is all about taxes that you pay to both the state and the government. Right? Wouldn't work now. It's also, by the way, not a good dietary guide. It is not a good political guide. It doesn't actually have an understanding of modern politics in any way, shape, or form. It is also not a good book to use as a marriage handbook. It is, however, a book about relationships. It's a book about the relationship between God and man. Job is an interesting guy. Most people don't really think about Job, but there are sections of Judeo-Christian tradition that actually put Job on the same level of Moses. A prophet who is respected and honored above most of the names that we think are really cool, like Solomon and David. Job has a very unique place because nobody in the Bible is treated the way that Job is treated. Job was picked on, and God let it happen. He said to Satan, Job, no matter what you do, will be good to me. So have at him. He's yours. Do whatever you want to him. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a pretty hard story pill to swallow for me. But this is the thing that makes him special. Think about it. The Israelites, they journeyed from Egypt to the Holy Land. They demanded miracles. They got miracles. They demanded water. They got water. They demanded food. They got food. They showed all different sorts of lack of faith in God, and they got what they wanted. Job, without sin 
does raise a question in my mind about original sin, but that's a different theological issue. Job, without sin, got head-to-toe sores that he had to scrape off for doing nothing, for just being devoted. Now, I'm sure that some of us at points can feel like Job, where we feel like we haven't done anything wrong, and yet we, we just feel punished. People like to oftentimes look at that Job story of the, of, of the pain and the suffering. And a lot, of, a lot of Christian literature has the pain and the suffering as the major aspect. Because what we oftentimes don't realize is a lot of Christianity has actually been one that has gone against power structures. And those people really identify with Job for the pain that he endures. But that's not why he is famous within most Jewish circles. It is really not the pain, but the, fa- the, the faith he has because of the pain. Do you see the difference? They highlight that throughout his life, whether rich, whether poor, whether healthy, whether sick, the same faith continued. They celebrate his early life, the end of his life, and the troubled time equitably. Think about it. What happens in your life when bad things happen? Like when you talk to people, we have hurricanes come and people say, where was God? The people who oftentimes say, where was God, keep in mind, had where is God before the hurricane happened, right? They, The hurricane tends not to actually cause people to lack faith. It has people who have probably a lack of faith before the hurricane to be more willing to express it. But the hurricane itself doesn't give rise to it. People who lose their jobs, people who face poverty, we hear all the time people blaming God and saying, how could God let bad things happen? And I can't help but think the reason this book is in the Bible is because guess what? Bad things happen in our lives. Anyone here have a life where nothing bad's happened? I'm guessing not. God is trying to tell us something by putting the book of Job in here. He's trying to help us understand that he or she, whatever pronoun you choose, them or they, the divine understands what pain and suffering is, but also understands the importance of faith. Job is really interesting. You see, it's so easy, and I believe that more often than not, we look to the golden calf, right? We want a church that if we pray the right prayer, we do the right thing, God gives us what we want, right? We want a faith that's going to cash out at the end of the day. We want a faith that will give us our desire. What what does it mean if we're worshiping our own desire? It really means we're worshiping ourselves. Job didn't do that. Job stayed consistent and said, I take the gift of life that God has given me, good or bad, and I celebrate it. 
This might be an interesting thing to talk about when a sermon titles Pets, Purrs, and Scratches. But think about pet ownership a little bit. Sorry, pet companionship. I've been told I'm not supposed to use the term ownership. Pet companionship. My cat escaped from the house, well, a cat that recently died, escaped from a house for three weeks, was found dead in the middle of the street, fortunately had a GPS chip at the back of its net, and the hospital could find us. And that cat was brought back to life from near death and lived a very happy seven years after that. Five, maybe five years. It doesn't matter. The point being is that cat did not understand that going outside of the house is a life that it is not prepared for. That cat constantly, and I don't know, those of you who are cat people, you know this, dogs, I don't know how dogs work with this, but, but cats want to escape their homes. They don't get that there are diseases in animals and horrible things awaiting for them, but we are the mean, nasty people who stop them from leaving their homes. Dogs do not necessarily understand why they shouldn't play in the street, I'm guessing, right? They don't get it. But we tell them, no, you can't do what you want. Over and over. How about a vet? My cat knows, and they say that cat carrier, they know what that cat carrier means. They know they're going to the vet. I have to come up with all sorts of weird things to get that cat into that cat carrier. Dogs, it might be a little bit easier because they go out on walks and do more things in public. Maybe it's not as hard for them, but some dogs, from what I understand, understand the word vet. They don't understand that the vet will make them feel better when they're sick. To some degree, the only thing that an animal has is an unquestioning love and faith and trust in its owner because it doesn't fully understand the world in which it lives. I'm not necessarily saying that we're God's pets, but I think that there's a relationship that's similar. Relationships are more than getting what you want. Sometimes we try to scratch God. Sometimes we purr for God. Sometimes God scratches us, and sometimes God purrs for us. I'm not sure the direction of the relationship, but the relationships are complex, and they're not always based in us getting exactly what we wanted. Now, this is paired with the reading on marriage. And, and while the statements that were made here was a debate about marriage 2,000 years ago that is, I, not, I do not believe is as appropriate as it is today, and even back then it may not have been exactly what we think, what, what at least Swedenborg says about this statement is that this relationship is not talking about the actual institution of marriage in the way that we might think. Someone went, might question Swedenborg and say, well, how do you think that? That's silly. Well, come on, let's, uh, the Gospels, Jesus uses the relationship of a marriage banquet to talk about God's relationship to humanity. In the book of Revelation, you know, the Lord is dressed as a bridegroom awaiting 
being united with his people. The, the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, as we heard from a few weeks ago, is a love poem about two people in pending nuptials, which is actually about God and God's relationship with people. So it might just be that when God talks about divorce and marriage in Scripture, it's not a marriage handbook. It's talking about a relationship. It's talking about when you unite with the divine, you are forever changed in a way that cannot be separated. In other words, once you realize something is wrong, no matter how many times you do it and say it's right, you still know it's wrong. Once you achieve a higher plane of spirituality, a a higher level of knowingness, you can't go back. This concept of relationship is the purrs and the scratches between God and humanity. You see, I, 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 I like, I'm a kind of a joiner, right? I like going to social clubs. Um, I'm a member of a social club. We meet every month, and most months I try and get there. We have refreshments and we have dinner. Um, I contribute financially to the organization's health and success. I, it does community service. We talk about how to be better people, but it is not church. Church is about a special relationship. It is about a deeper relationship than what a person gets in other places. It's about a relationship that's willing to scratch and purr. And what I mean by that, church is a place, one of the only places where you're allowed to bring the whole of yourself, your work self, your family self, your home self, your gym self, I don't know, what other selves are there? Your your orchestra self, your, your opera self, all the aspects of yourself, you're allowed to bring them to church, not for the purpose of being told just that you're great, but for the purpose of reflecting on the entirety of who you are as a person. And with that will be services and events that are purrs, where you feel pet and you feel good. And with that also will be times that you get scratched, that maybe something you were thinking, some aspect of yourself, needs to be fixed. You might be told, hey, don't go into the street. You really want to chase that car but something in church will tell you not to do it. The relationship is much more complex than simply getting what you want or having enjoyment or entertainment. It's about transforming yourself into the fullest person you have been created to be. When you read about the concept of friendship and you read books about friendship from the 1600s, It's different. The concept of friendship has transformed from a person who you can trust with all aspects 
of criticism to an activity buddy. Our concept, Facebook is really actually pretty good about this, right? We, we can like our friends, right? We can press like on the things that make us feel good, but when one of our friends disagrees with us, even on Facebook, oh, ho, 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 we, we get upset that we might be disagreed with. What would it mean for us to have friends that told us the hard truth? Instead, we have therapists who we pay to do that. Because we don't have, oftentimes, the relationships with a friend who will scratch us. We do with our pets. My cat put me in the hospital for three days. I did not come out of there and get rid of that cat. My cat put me in the hospital for three days and I still cared for it and loved it and said, it's okay, I understand that you didn't get I was trying to save your life. Are we willing to do that for other people? Are we willing to have friends that would say something to us that we don't agree with and still like them? Are we willing to have a church that says maybe what we want isn't good for us? Are we willing, are we willing to have that relationship? Something is great about a day when we celebrate all of creation because the circle of life is much more complex and much more beautiful than what we oftentimes think of. It is a place of pain. It is a place of reward. It is a place of struggle. It is a place that God has put in place so many things like temptation. Temptation is a gift because it's an opportunity for us to grow. We could all do life perfectly well if everything that God wanted us to do was what we wanted to do. Instead, we have a world of purrs, sorry, of pets, purrs, and scratches. We have a world that's much more dynamic. And scripture, through a variety of different stories, passages, and books, gives us an understanding of a life that's about building a relationship that is about more than being told we are good and we are right, but that God trusts us to grow into what is better. So on this blessing of the animal's day, let us remember that sometimes the divine that gives us life does not want us to run into the street but when we do, we'll still pet us. That sometime the source of all creation that disagrees with whether or not we should go to the vet still loves us. And that this is a model for each of us to find in our neighbor. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.